0: all right what's up welcome back meet LA podcast listeners Stuart anderson for episode 25 we took a little break here over the summer but we are back with one of the best episodes we've ever recorded we bring on an athlete from the challenged athlete foundation uh brandon lyons shares his story about how he's interacted uh, with challenge athletes foundation what the program is what it's meant to him what he's learned and you'll hear from him, his story, as well as a few other guests, uh, Christy Bolts and Sean Jaeger. So, uh, so grateful for this episode. Thankful for the invitation at the end to participate with the Challenge Athletes Foundation. We're going to have a special event with them on August 19th. So look for the links. Look for the ways that we're going to start working with them as a team. And uh, hopefully you're inspired by Brandon and his awesome story. If you get a chance, you can watch him on the YouTube channel and see what this dude looks like. He is an elite athlete who uh, is g- going to tell his story about how he rides and how he participates as a challenge athlete. So enjoy. Uh, we're grateful to be back. Thankful for the team. And uh, that's it. Take care. All right. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Me Dwelle Podcast. Stuart Anderson here after a short summer break. We're grateful to have you back. Episode 25. Um just a few announcements before we introduce our guests. We're working on our final kit order of the year. Um, plan on kit pickups September 2nd. Uh, this will be the last time to get red kits. So we'll have something fun and uh, lots of cool swag, uh, hats, and some shirts, especially from our Porcupine, wait, Porter's Fork Challenge climb. I got those today. Oh, oh man, they are sick. Uh, big race last week. Sean, we survived. Oh, man. That was terrible. So, Mirror Lake Highway race last week. Big old Dave Sharp on top of the podium again. And Paul Watson with a close second in their division. And then Doug Brower on the podium in the Masters group. And then, pretty fun, the team actually won the fastest team competition by having the four – dude, four fastest riders. That was awesome. Sharp, Ben Brooks, Doug Brower, Jason Lang. So, we had the four fastest combined times. Don't worry, it was only 150 miles, Christy. So, it was a – just a walk in the park, just a, <laughs> so um, join today if you're watching the YouTube channel, um, I'm on here with Chip, what's up Chip,
1: hey, hey guys, Bro- good to be brother back, brother
0: Sean, brother Sean's here, and then uh, Christy Bolts, introduced will inter- uh, introduce here, and then Brandon Lyons, and Christy will introduce Br- uh, Brandon in one sec, so uh, super grateful to have this crew on, uh, but, but first I wanted to introduce Christy. Um, I if you uh, know her from Salt Lake City, she hasn't lived here for a long time. And Christy, I didn't know you when you lived here, and our association, the Crown Council, brought us together, which is really a funny thing that a roundabout way that we've connected in a lot of different parts of life. Um, but I've known her for probably close to ten years. She's an avid cyclist, and one of the one of the real champions of finding like a true purpose behind why she rides. Um, a real um advocate for a a group called the Challenge Athletes Foundation. She is a hundred percent committed to this group, also known as Sean. You you say CAF, CAF. Is that like the proper term for challenge athletes? Yeah, that's the
1: beloved term. Yes, CAF. Okay. Uh
0: she has a prolific history with CAF, raising thousands upon thousands of dollars for this charity. And she'll tell a story about how she got involved with them, but whether it's through her bake sales, uh, whether it's through the thousands of miles that she rides, her contagious enthusiasm or never-ending smiles. Look, it doesn't stop. She can't stop. (laughs) She is an advocate for this group and we're so excited to talk about them and uh, meet Brandon today and learn his story about uh, being part of the Challenge Athletes Foundation. So with that, Christy, will you... Um, introduce Brandon and maybe um, how we got onto this topic?
2: I think the the most appropriate introduction for Brandon is that he has the biggest guns of the five <laughs> of us, right? Yes, um, he
1: does. <laughs> you know,
2: Brandon, it's funny because you when you see people on Zoom, and for those of you who are listening in, I'll, I'll describe, Brandon's got his his calf shirt, and he's tatted up, right? And he's got uh, lacrosse uh, stick in the background, and it looks like a Bengals football and Bill Walton's book, and he looks like he is ready to speak at a nationally televised event, and here we are on the podcast, so thanks for showing up, my friend. Um, Brandon and I met at the Million Dollar Challenge that is Challenge Athletes Foundation primary fundraiser, Uh, every year, a 600 plus mile ride from San Francisco to San Diego. That's where we met. That was not the first time Brandon was on a bike. That was not the first time I was on a bike. Um, Brandon, you're 31. Did I do my math right? Right. In 2014, Brandon dove into shallow water like many of us have done many times at lakes and parties and broke uh, T5 and T6 uh, and was paralyzed from the chest down. And for many people, that's the end of the story, my friends, and for Brandon and many of the athletes like him, that was the beginning. Uh, To the day, three years after that injury, he became the first hand cyclist to become a full-time resident at Colorado Springs for the uh, Paralympic Training Center. Um, He's participated in the Million Dollar Challenge three times. He's a silver medalist at the 2019 World Championship. He is a two-time silver medalist at the Parapan American Games. Um, he is currently pursuing an extremely lofty goal that I think everyone on the podcast will be thrilled to know. He is attempting to break the 24-hour world record for miles ridden on a hand cycle and that's 410 my friends 410 oh, so all you loaded jet out there who are like oh my god 2, 206, and i don't think i can make it it's like brandon's gonna crush um 410 this october and we're really excited so brandon welcome and thanks for being you
3: mm-hmm. yeah i appreciate it thanks for having me
0: thanks brandon hey maybe before we uh jump forward Christy and, and Sean, why don't you talk a bit about how this all started? Where did, where did you guys get connected and uh, how did Challenge Athletes Foundation enter your life?
1: You want to go, Christy, on that?
2: Yeah. You know, this necklace that I'm wearing that you guys can't see and believe it or not, is from 2009. I ran the Nike Women's Marathon. They give you a Tiffany necklace. So Tiffany jewelry what? will last a while. Yeah. 2009, Sarah Reinerston ran by me, blew my doors off in the Nike Women's Marathon. I had seen her miss the cutoff in Kona and come back and make the cutoff and become uh, a Kona finisher. And Sarah Reinerston, you can Google her, had a big jersey on it that said CAF. And I went home after the Nike Women's Marathon and got online and looked and went, what's this organization all about? I was not a collegiate athlete. Uh, Sean and everyone else on this on this call will tell you, I am not an exceptional athlete by any means. I am stubborn and will train like anybody else. Um, and physical activity means so much to all of us for different reasons. Um, being active, I just could not imagine that someone could tell a kid, you know, I'm sorry, because you don't have a prosthetic foot for soccer. You can't go to recess. And Challenge Athletes Foundation my exposure to that generated this kind of enthusiasm that really has rocketed forward since my first participation in Million Dollar Challenge in 2010. Um, It rained every day, the first million dollar challenge I did, uh, half the cyclists were from San Diego. They did not own rain gear. We woke up that morning in San Francisco and they said, uh, are we still doing the ride? Because it's raining. Um <laughs> and, and there were some challenge athletes there, in particular, uh, Gil and Chris, who had both come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, losing their legs and getting their brain blown off, that were looking out the window, going, guys, it's rain. I'm pretty sure we can still ride. Um And I thought it would be a one-time thing. I thought I would ride once and, you know, we all have these bucket list races. And I went back in 2011 and 2012 and 2013 and 2014 and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to share that with others. And Sean um, joined us. I did. and It it, was uh,
1: amazing. Do you want me to talk for a sec here, Christy? Yeah, man. All right. So, Christy, graciously, and uh, I will forever be in her debt. I truly will, because it changed my life. Um, it really did. It's uh, not just in cycling. I mean, you know, especially us duos. It's uh, cycling so much of our lives. And Stu and I talked about that a little bit this morning as we were out riding. But it's not everything, and. It was the biggest thing to affect my life outside of religion, outside of working, anything like that. Cap changed me. And the reason is, is because of people like Brandon, and I can't wait for you to hear his story. That guy from day one, uh, I think we rode day one together um, down to Monterey. Is that right, Christy? I think that's how it went. And it was tremendous I mean I was just amazed that we talked already about his guns (laughs) when you see Brandon on a bike you will be blown away it this dude just flying up a hill hand cycling and you see these monster arms just turning those cranks it it was impressive but just getting to talk to him and hear his story and uh it it changed me um that and Jamie I mean Jamie Whitmore (laughs) She's an unbelievable athlete, but an unbelievable person as well and just a motivator. And you meet so many of these athletes and you find out that uh, there's a whole bigger world out there, even at age, uh, what was it, 45, 46 at the time? This is in 2018 when we went, than I'd ever really known. And uh, like I said, I'll forever be in debt to Christy for her uh, getting me a part of it. It's been big. Nice.
0: Christy, um, maybe explain how the, how it works. I mean, uh, challenge athletes foundation needs you to raise money for them. And I know that that race that you're talking about requires a certain amount of giving in order to participate. Can you explain really how you're involved in connecting with, with the program? Like what they ask of you?
2: The, event is appropriately named the million dollar challenge because when it started 15 years ago the idea was that there were going to be a hundred cyclists and each of those cyclists would commit to ten thousand dollar fundraising minimum anytime you show up at an event and they throw down ten thousand dollars as the minimum yeah. um, there's an unwritten expectation there okay um, at that time i was in my 30s i had uh looked at that number and said, this is, I don't know that I'm going to be able to raise this uh, kind of money. And showing up and seeing the impact that a grant can have on someone's life, a child, an adult, someone who you may consider an exceptional athlete who's been faced with an injury, someone who discovers athletics later in life. And then to realize if someone took away my ability to ride a bike, I just want you to all to close your eyes for a minute while you're listening and think if for the next 90 days, somebody said, you can't ride, forget that. Say, you know what, for the rest of your life, this thing that you love, you can't do that anymore it would just, it would devastate us in so many ways. And so CAF exposed me to the fact that, you know, a prosthetic running leg is $10,000. So raising a million dollars is a significant amount of money. And it's also not at the same time. And at the end of that race, I, I call it a race. It's really a ride, right, Sean? That's right. Okay. There are no Strava segments. There are no prizes for getting to San Diego first. Okay. Um, yes, there are although Brandon. Yes, there are. Sean Brandon, Sean Brandon and Sean may tell you about that <laughs> over Mount Mount Soledad. Um, and oh, big, I, I,
1: big. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, I just became addicted to this idea. And for me, you know, Sean has shared one of my big philosophies in life is to pedal it forward. And one of my big philosophies comes from that event because there were people at that event who could have easily left me. I was not, knowing what I know now, I was not appropriately in shape for that length of an event. Um, I look back and kind of laugh, um, but I I wouldn't change it for the world. And since then, the fundraising minimum has been raised. And really every year, I think our biggest year, 100 people raised almost $2 million. Wow. It's It's substantial and to know that you can you get to San Diego and Sean uh, you can probably and Brandon can express the feeling as you come into Loja Cove and there are children of all ages with all different disabilities running around playing together because, You were willing to ask your friends to donate to an organization that if you couldn't ride your bike anymore, how would you feel? And to be able to provide that opportunity to compete. When CAF was founded, it was all about getting people from the sideline to the starting line. For Brandon, we've gone way beyond that. This is getting past the starting line to getting to the podium. Because just because you have a disability or an injury doesn't take away your competitive desire. It doesn't take your, away your desire to crush someone else on a Strava segment. Um, that doesn't go away just because you get hurt. And I think Brandon could probably talk to us more about that. But you look, you see that and you just your life is changed in such a powerful way that you want to do more. And that's why we've continued to go back and say, hey, you know what? We can raise 20000 Hey, we can raise 40,000. You know, I think we could probably raise like a hundred thousand dollars. And this year with COVID missing out last year, our goal is 200 grand.
0: That's so awesome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is uh, if I can interject, maybe part of the crux of what we're, we're doing here today, which is introducing this program, how me can be involved. And we're going to have some things, uh, invitations at the end for different ways that you can be involved with challenge athletes foundation and, Brandon's story we thought would be a very fitting way to inspire uh, this team to get involved and uh, connect with all the amazing things that Sean and Christy have talked about. So um, with that, is that a good introduction, Brandon? I don't know how – I'm sure you've done this before. Uh, (laughs) You want to, like, take it away, dude, and and give it to us?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, I think Christy and Sean really – Hit a lot of it on the head there, but um, Christy, we early mentioned that, you know, I was injured back in 2014, but if you kind of rewind, you know, back to that, Christy had said, you know, giving CAF was providing, you know, athletes like myself an opportunity to to get back into sport and to kind of keep living that competitive, you know, lifestyle. So I grew up, I was a multi-sport athlete um, through high school. I played lacrosse a couple of years at Penn State in college. So, you know, competitive athletics was always... A part of me. Um, and it was something that I was always, you know, very passionate about. And I graduated college in 2012 from Penn State and, you know, kind of put athletics to the, you know, kind of behind me and was really focused on, you know, how is was I going to make an impact in the business world? I always, you know, was kind of envisioning myself of, you know, going to a professional services firm and, and, you know, making my name that way. And I was very fortunate enough that um, I landed a job with Ernst Young down in the Washington DC area uh, in 2012, so graduated, moved down there, and um, you know was lifting on the side, and was still always athletic. And you know one of those, you know, bucket list items uh, was I wanted to go to run my first marathon. Right, I was kind of transitioning from you know team sports into you know weekend warrior type stuff, and just kind of wanted to to check that bucket list item off, but. As I was approaching and kind of going through my training um, on Memorial Day weekend, I went down to Ocean City, Maryland uh, with some friends and uh, some coworkers, and mistakenly dove into shallow water and broke my back of the T5 and T6 uh, vertebrae. So right around your mid-chest area, right below your sternum. Uh, so, you know, just imagine yourself. I was 24 years old at the time. Um, I remember just, you know, sitting in the water, motionless, really helpless, and looking up to my friends, you know, telling them that you know, I wasn't able to move, immediately lost all sensation of everything, right? And just kind of thinking of so many different thoughts going through your head of, you know, what is the future going to hold? And I remember telling my friends that I needed them to, you know, come in and pull me out of the water. I just wasn't capable of doing it. And at first, their initial reaction was, okay, stop joking, stand up, let's just get out of the water, And it wasn't until the second, third time that I started to really reiterate that, no, this is serious. Um, I'm not able to stand up. And I had jumped off of a 10 foot pier and the water was about three feet deep. Um, I'm six, three as a guy, so pretty tall guy. So a little over double the, you know, depth of the water. And at that time of day, couldn't see the bottom of the ocean. Um, You know, boats were floating. It was kind of just that fluke accident. And I tell so many people, you know, nine times out of 10, I would have done that really any weekend. I was always, you know, active and and kind of doing things like that. But, you know, at that time, you know, there was a lot of, I would say not panic, but just really that uncertainty of what was going to go on. I was still so young, only 24 years old. And it really didn't sink in until I was airlifted um, from Ocean City, Maryland to get into Baltimore to have surgery And I remember the dispatcher being on the phone with my mom and me telling her that I was paralyzed, right? I was, I was comprehending the situation at that time, but it was really starting to sink in as I was, you know, vocalizing it out loud to my family through the phone. And, you know, like, like any mother would, then being, being an only child, you know, she immediately pushed back to say, we don't know what the, you know, diagnosis is. You're just saying this right now. We have to wait till we see you. And I think a lot of it was her not wanting to accept it, but then just also, again, that uncertainty of not knowing what's going on. So um, was airlifted to Baltimore shock trauma center um, was to go and have immediate surgery. But unfortunately the helicopter that came to airlift me uh, didn't have enough gas to get from the beach where I had actually sustained the injury to get me to um, the shock trauma center in Baltimore to have immediate surgery. And, for anyone that, that knows a spinal cord injury, any type of neurological um, you know, trauma, it's very important that you get in and have the surgery as soon as you possibly can to, re- to have any you know, best chance at a recovery. Um, so, unfortunately, i out of gas. So, I got in later that night than expected. Uh, they didn't have the specialized crew that they needed to perform the surgery. So I waited an additional day for the surgery. Sat there with a broken back, and um, you know, my T five and T six vertebrae were completely burst until I could have the surgery the next morning. So it was about that time that when I ref- when the uh, helicopter refueled from Salisbury to get me to the shock trauma center that that's when I kind of fell out of consciousness. I woke up to just being surrounded by family, friends, coworkers you know, a huge support system. All around me and again to really reassure okay, this is very serious right I mean when you see all of your loved ones in a hospital setting, something bad happened um, so it was really then when it started to sink in and but you know being an athlete my entire life uh, i I looked at it as you know this was an injury right I understood what I wasn't capable of doing at that time the same as what I wasn't capable of doing in the in the helicopter but okay, like I've, you know, broken a bone or, you know, twisted an ankle. Okay, give me a few weeks to a few months and I'll be back up on my feet in no time. That was kind of the mindset that I had very early on. Um, So was was in the inpatient hospital for about two weeks and then um, was then transported from the hospital itself to an inpatient rehab facility, which was uh, about 20 minutes away. And that's whenever, you know, you're surrounded by a lot of people that are in very similar situations as yourself. Um, And it's really more starting to to sink in. But again, at that mindset was, okay, I'm going to get through this, right? I was still just so young, it was not going to happen. And I always remember, you know, two, two really, you know, life changing moments. And I think a lot of it has really changed my perspective on life. It was very early on when the doctor came in at the rehab center and, and really gave the diagnosis to myself and my parents at the time and said, you know, you only have a 1% chance that you're ever going to walk again. And my immediate, my immediate thought was, well, you didn't say 0%. So you essentially were giving me 1% chance. There was a chance that I was going to be able to walk again. Right. And that was my perspective. That was the mindset that I was going to continue to just push forward with life. Right. I wasn't going to let myself, or I wasn't going to let someone else, especially a doctor that I didn't know place any limits, you know, on, on what I was capable of. Um, So that was kind of what really helped me, you know, transition and kind of navigate through those very difficult times early on. And then speaking about perspective, I remember one of the first weeks that I was in there, we went down into this rec room and we were going through, you know, all of our rehab. And at that time, you know, I was having trouble just sitting up and getting out of the hospital bed and you're going in there and, you know, trying to relearn, and really gain any type of independence and really just learn that new normal. That's what we just heard every single day. It was just kind of, you know, pushed into you about just little things that everyone takes for granted. Right. It was, you know, take it like an hour just to get dressed, right. Trying to put my shoes on, trying to put pants on, right. Everything that everyone takes for granted just took so much time and was so difficult, right. Just exhausting. And we came out into this rec room and I remember I saw, um, a woman, she was probably my age around like mid twenties at the time. And she was in a motorized wheelchair. She was completely um, paralyzed from the neck down. So she was a quadriplegic, had no use of her arms or her hands. Um, She was moving around and navigating the wheelchair through a, um, through a uh, puff and straw. So she was pushing her way around just by pushing on this little straw that then controlled the wheelchair. And we were talking and she's like, oh, what happened to you? You know, how did you get in here? And I told her that I dove into shallow water, broke my back, and I had asked her the same question and she had the exact same, um, you know, cause of injury, right? So there she was around the same age. She dove into shallow water. Fortunately enough for myself, I only broke my back. So I had full control, full, you know, independence of my upper body, right? So I could become independent. Um, And then there she was a quadriplegic quadriplegic, and, you know, that was really an aha moment to go, oh my gosh, I really need to be grateful for what I do have. Because I, I quickly learned that, you know, really in any aspect of life, you're seeing someone that you just look at that next tier right above you and say, I just wish I had that. And I could see it in her eyes that she was thinking, why wasn't that made? Right. And it's, it's, it's funny to kind of step back and say, oh my gosh, why couldn't I have broken my back, but it was, it's, it's, it's that, you know, perspective of, Oh my gosh, I just wish I just had a little bit more. Um, So that that was a huge moment for myself and the kind of pushing forward to like, I really need to become grateful for, for really what I do have. So, you know, over that next month I was in the inpatient hospital and just trying to regain any type of independence and normalcy and um, was discharged from the hospital a month uh, after being in there. And again, at 24 years old, um, had to relocate and then move back into my parents. So, you know, being in the mid twenties, that really the real true independence of your life, right? Like starting that next chapter, come out of college and I was financially independent and now I'm under the roof of my parents and, you know, having to depend and rely on so many people just to get through the day. Uh, I think that was the biggest challenge was just losing that independence. Um, cause I was such an independent person my entire life. Right. So that was, that was a struggle for me. And one of the, I I think life altering events or, or kind of activities that helped me kind of get through that was truly finding sport again. Right. And when I was in the hospital, um, I was introduced to a rec therapist who showed me this hand cycle, right? So anyone that doesn't know what a hand cycle is, it's a recumbent bike that you're laying down on your back, you're pedaling with your arms. So the cranks are right in front of your face, pedaling with your arms together, your feet are out front. It's a three wheeled bike. Uh, so the front wheel is the drive wheel, um, you know, of a, of a regular bike. And I saw this bike and I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, you know, something to, you know, just get active again and, and try to just build up strength on my upper body. So, uh, I had family and friends put together a fundraiser and, uh, the first week that I arrived home, um, the hand cycle was there waiting for me. So it was just a way to, to get active again. And, I remember the first time I took the bike out. You know, it was it was so difficult just to get it out of the driveway and go down the street. Um, and then it would have been so easy just to give up and say, oh, "This is this is stupid. This is this is so difficult." Um, but I was just intrigued by it when I saw it. It was just another challenge. And I remember the second time I took it out, we went to this small little island in Central PA, and I did 20 miles around this loop. I just kept going to 20 miles, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, if I could do 20 miles, you know, just the a month after being laid up in a hospital bed hurt, you know, I'm going to be able to to accomplish anything that I want. And I immediately thought of, okay, you know, I was still registered for this Marine Corps marathon that was down in DC. I wonder if they have a hand cycle division or if they would allow me to go compete in the race in the hand cycle. It was always a bucket list item that I wanted to check off. Um, So it was fortunate enough. I called the, uh, I called up the uh, marathon organizer and, They loved the story. They wanted me to come down and were able to uh, transition and and switch my registration over from a runner into a hand cycle. So, uh, just four months after I was hurt, I went down and was able to tow the line again. And I had my family that was down there, you know, with the big bucket list item that when I crossed the finish line, I was able to actually check it off. Um, Unfortunately, the the race did not go as smoothly as I had hoped. Um, At that time, I was not a cyclist, right? I didn't know anything about you know, flat tires or equipment, right. Everything I was on was just stock. I was just excited to be there. Right. And rewind it, you know, the night before I was at the Penn state, Ohio state game, I went into double overtime. So I was in happy Valley about four hours away from DC until 2.00 AM. The race started at 6 30.00 AM. So I'm on no sleep. We go. The race starts, and I'm about I'm about ten miles through the through the marathon, and my parents are tracking me through the app. Like, oh, he's doing so well, and we get to about you know mile twelve, mile thirteen, and they're like, why is he stopped? And I had a flat tire on the drive wheel, right? So now I'm now I'm parked over on the side, and the way that the handcycle division starts is they go ahead of all of the runners just because of the time, right? We could do a could do a marathon in you know close to an hour. Um, right. So averaging around 25 or so miles an hour and he's now I'm stopped. So now I'm like, okay, I remember I call my parents and I, you know, quickly tell them what happened, that I have this flat tire and I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, you only have two options. Like you can wait there until all the runners come and we'll come pick you up. Or, um, you know, you can just kind of find someone to, to help you. I'm like, okay, neither one of those are going to work. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to go finish this 13 miles on a flat tire on the drive. <laughs> So here I am, I'm, you know, just pedaling, 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 maybe going two miles an hour. And now the next thing that I hear is I see the truck with the big clock for all of the runners because now the elite runners are coming and I hear the truck say the Kenyans are coming and I immediately turn around and like, here are the fastest of the fastest marathon runners now passing me as I'm pushing, pushing, pushing to go through um, did that for the next, like I said, like 12 miles or so. Um, uh, but it was just so worth it towards the end. Again, it was kind of reassuring everything in my head. That's, you know, there's going to be all of these challenges and all this type of adversity. And I was so you know proud that I didn't let this, you know, stop me from what I wanted to achieve. Right. I always had that bucket list item of, you know, crossing off and saying that I did, it was able to complete a marathon. Right. So It was that mindset change and, you know, just that, that sense of resiliency that, that helped me early on. And as I, you know, look forward to, you know, where it's gotten me today, a lot of those things, you know, helped propel me. Right. So going through those experiences really propelled me into, you know, the athlete that I've become today and really the person that I've become today, Um, you know, to, you know, Christie's point before, yeah, it was all about just getting to the starting line. And at that time, I didn't really know of elite, you know, para, you know, para athletics or, you know, adaptive athletics. You know, I had heard of the Paralympics, never had seen the Paralympics. And I, I always remember that when I was in the hospital, all of my friends came in like, oh, you're going to go to the Paralympics. I was like, you're damn right. I'm going to go to the Paralympics. Cause I didn't, I mean, that, that was again, me being ignorant of, you know, not knowing what it takes to get there, not um you know understanding how how challenging it really is uh that that was my mindset I was like oh I'm absolutely going to do it and when I had an opportunity to come out to the training center I went through um you know a a 2 week trial in 2017 I was like oh my gosh like to really see how these elite athletes train full time how fast they are to go to these races um it was really eye opening but it was also super motivating um, And and it was something that I wanted to do, right? It was a, a, for me. It was about finding a, you know my purpose and finding something that I was passionate about, right? So uh, I went to this two week tryout, and at the time, uh, Team USA they had just finished up in Rio in 2016, so they had some athletes that were retiring, and they were looking to you know develop the next generation of athletes leading up to Tokyo in 2020. So at that time, um, I was extended an invitation to come out to the training center in Colorado Springs. Uh, to be a full-time resident. And it was so interesting enough that I was injured May 24th, 2014, and I moved into the training center three years exactly to the date on May 24th, 2017. So it was such a surreal, surreal moment. Um, And again, it was just so motivating to be there. Same training center of, you know, people like Katie Ledecky and Michael Phelps, you know, all of those people lived and trained full-time. So uh, it was such a, such a proud moment. It's just an amazing opportunity to have, um so I, I did that and i was living out there from 2017 up to, to 2019 until the pandemic happened and throughout those years it was like every single year i was just putting in the work and just seeing you know the improvement year over year over year and i was seeing this goal of mine that i wanted to be able to get to tokyo that i was, was seeing it come into fruition and was peaking in 2019 performing well and as we got into 2020 i was peaking right in march and then the games were postponed unfortunately um, which pushed it out one more year. And then fast forward to 2021, I had to relocate out of the training center because it shut down. Um, and again, it was at that same time as we were leading into trials in March, uh, unfortunately came down with a uh, you know, terrible infection that put me on antibiotics for nearly three months leading in the trial. So, um, again, wasn't going to give up and just wanted to still, you know, have the opportunity to, to really see this through. I put in so much time over the last four years that, you know, I was going to show up to the starting line regardless and just give it my all. And unfortunately that day it wasn't enough. Um, But again, I didn't look at it as a, as a failure. I think I've gone through so many types of adversity that it was just a way of kind of seeing it as an opportunity to grow um, and develop and, and really to try to, you know, be, really my best self leading into Paris of 2024. So going to give it another go for a few years, um, as we get to Paris in 2024, but, um, circling back kind of to, to CAF and to MDC, uh, I had done that race or done the event for, for the past three years leading up to it. So, um, I was introduced to calf. I lived out in San Diego shortly, uh, in 2015, right after I was injured and, uh, was briefly introduced to calf, but never got involved. Um, at that time wasn't really, you know, hand cycling or, or in the adaptive sports, um, you know, world, uh, you know, quickly right after. But, um, one of my teammates that, you know, Sean had mentioned Jamie, uh, at one of our events had you know, kind of wrote me into this. There was this ride that go, that you ride from San Francisco to San Diego. And again, at this time, I mean, I had just gotten into to racing, uh, was, nowhere near as fit as i am now i'm like oh i want to do that and i can remember to see it in their eyes they're like i don't i don't know if you can do this and i remember even the the cycling organizer at the event was asking around i was like do you know this guy brandon lyons like do you think he can do this like not a lot of hand cyclists ride the entire route like are you do you think he's able to do this and uh you know jamie abouts for me he's like oh if you give him an opportunity he's going to do it and uh that's kind of the way that i went into it i was like i'm not going to give up i'm going to ride every single mile of this thing So that, that first year was just an awesome experience riding from San Francisco to San Diego. And I think like Christy mentioned, like Sean mentioned, it was after that first event where when it, when it concluded, right. It was like, it, it truly opened up my eyes to, you know, the impact that CAF can have the impact that I can have supporting CAF, but how much of a close knit community it was. Uh, how much of a, of a family it was, right. It's almost like you're going away to, you know, summer camp and whenever it ends, you know, you just, you just miss being with them. Right. And, you know, you just look forward to that next year. Um, But, you know, throughout the entire year, it's just all about, you know, supporting calf. They've, they've done so much for, you know, athletes like myself, but then, you know, really younger generations as well as giving them an opportunity to get into sport. Right. To, to Christie's point of, you know, some of these younger people that, you know, years back there wasn't even access to sport at their age and to see how much sport has impacted my life after a traumatic injury to, you know, be a young kid and be told that you, you're not, you're not able to, you know, compete or, you know, there's, there's not a future in athletics I think is, is just terrible. So, you know, Cath does a great, great job of, you know, empowering athletes of all abilities. Nice.
0: Um, Christy, Chip, Sean, what questions do you have for Brandon? I'd love to explore if anything that you guys wanted to ask him.
3: Yep. So Brandon, where are you now? Um, you reside where right now and training is ongoing right now and, or are you heading to Colorado Springs again? Yeah. So I live in, um, I live in St. Augustine, Florida. I moved here, uh, last year. So I've been out here for a year now. Um, Moved out of the training centers so at the time, whenever the pandemic happened, we, there's usually around like anywhere from 200 to 300 athletes that are, are in and out of that place on a, you know, on a daily basis. And right before I left, there were 13. So I was one of the very last people to, you know, be mm-hmm. there until, until it opened up again, it was just that uncertainty, um, but I'll be out here full time. Through this year. Um, next year with the season, we'll have to see what happens as, you know, people are going through Tokyo right now. But um, as of next year, I'll probably go in. I bought a home down in Florida, so I was, was closer to family and, and things like that as well. But um, I'll probably do a couple of, you know, shorter stints out in Colorado to get some elevation training and to be closer to the team. Mm-hmm.
2: He'll be starting that elevation training in a few short weeks. When
3: I he, I can't wait for it. When it comes now, like, to Salt Lake, because I've been watching
2: those Strava segments, elevation for Brandon Lyons, 12 <laughs> feet, like three feet, miles, yeah. 375.
0: <laughs> that's like up yeah. the stairs out of the apartment.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I literally think that's coming in and out of my driveway. Um, but no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to some climbing and then also, uh, some dry climate. That is the one thing that when I moved here, I'm like, oh my gosh, the humidity is crazy.
1: Brandon, uh, Sean, questions? Uh, Yeah, Brandon, I didn't realize, was 2018 your first calf year?
3: It would have been 20, no, 2017.
1: 2017, so 2018 was your first or second okay
3: yeah Good Yeah. That, that was whenever you were there 2018 right yeah
1: yeah because i was yeah, gonna exactly. say no one was questioning if you could make it all those all those miles that year yeah we all knew yeah you that one it. i
3: was i was I, I i at least had a year under my belt there and then a, and then a full year of training so um was was ready to go there but the, the first year was it presented its own challenges but
2: <laughs> all Brandon,
1: i know is you... a, oh sorry to go ahead no go ahead sean I was just going to say, all I know is when we were on that first day together and it was a hundred and something miles right into Monterey, I think it was. And we're cruising down. I don't remember which highway it was, but we just entered a tunnel and you're with Dean. And I'm watching you cruise into this tunnel going, I don't know, 55, 60, however fast you were going into that tunnel. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to die. Yeah. I was so scared and I was, I was like, should I go super tuck and get behind him? Or what should I do? It, it was unbelievable. So you guys have something to behold when you see Brandon descend anything. It's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah.
3: The, the bike itself is just so aerodynamic, right? So it's like any type of hill you just, you just let go of the brakes and you're just cruising. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I definitely remember that first day that was, uh, I think was, was that, was that the prologue? Yes. Thing? There's the prologue yeah, that
1: was some prologue
3: yeah it was something like close to like 130 miles I think that was the longest <laughs> yeah. ride I had yeah. I had done to date um but now I remember going through that tunnel and I always remember going it was as we were getting towards the end I think there was like five of us that were together yeah. we were like going through like that little section of like farmland I always like to like envision it in my head of kind of running through there but um no that was such an awesome way to to start that week yeah absolutely
2: the, the prologue was amazing, Brandon. So many of the Midwelly writers are passionate about cycling because they have been a, a large part of their life. I mean, Sean's probably the exception. Would you guys say? Um, and so, for somebody like you, who you know you didn't grow up in cycling, you know, by your own admission, you showed up at this Marine Corps marathon and didn't even know how to change a flat. Um, do you think cycling is a home? for people as they leave college athletics, even as able-bodied cyclists um, that they can find that competition again.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I honestly think it's a, it's a great opportunity. Right. So I think once, once an athlete, you're always an athlete, right. Regardless of what happens. So, you know, being in college athletics, it was looking for that next, you know, really thing just to occupy me and just keep my fitness up. Right. So, and unless you're going pro or into a semi pro league, right. It's like, what opportunities are there to, to get active again? Right. Through like little rec leagues. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are going to look for that next, you know, fitness challenge or whether it's a marathon, whether it's running, right. Or, you know, trail running, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I think cycling is an awesome opportunity. And for me, it was, it, 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 to, to me, it came out of nowhere. Um, but I definitely think it's a whole man it's a it's such a close knit community once you're a cyclist right it's like everyone everyone is together so um no, I think it's a great opportunity to to continue your athletic you know prowess coming out of coming out of college athletics
2: I do need to know what your favorite cookie is oh boy that's I
3: think that's what I'm most excited about is like <laughs> I see your instagram feed choose wisely column,
0: Brandon. and so all I your...
3: want to do is just eat. <laughs> So no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to burning it out through the miles so I can just enjoy some of these sweets.
0: I agree. um, We always kind of, as we, as we, if we're going to wrap up um, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Christie and Brandon. But uh, one thing we've learned is that everybody that we bring on, it's, it's always fun to ask, you know, what piece of advice would you give to this team, whether it's, life advice or cycle advice or just anything that kind of comes to your mind that you would share that you've learned over your life in sports um you know because you have a huge array of listeners here people from all ages and abilities listening um christy what i mean you have participated in in this uh world for a long time What, what have you seen or learned that you could share that might be worthwhile
2: You're gonna make me pick just one and <laughs> the, the, the timing of this is tricky. Um, I think Sean has already shared this and I alluded to it earlier. Um, we talk about being part of a community, whether that's the community in our homes, in a community in our cycling club, in our community of coworkers and colleagues, And that concept of pedal it forward is something that we must do to contribute to our community. Um, I call it the Goldilocks rule of cycling and I've applied it in business. In fact, I gave the same advice in an interview just a couple weeks ago. I think you should spend time with three groups of people. If we're talking about on the bike, couple days a week, you need to go out and ride with people who are of your equal ability to maintain your strength. And you need to do that in business. You need to surround yourself with people of equal caliber and church and home and all those things. And then once a week, you need to go out and get your butt kicked by somebody who's significantly stronger than you, because they know things you don't. You need to learn from someone who's better than you. And in many cases, that, that education involves some form of your ego being knocked down a few notches, mm, nice. right? But finally, the third group that you really need to spend time with is those people that you can teach. Because someone brought you into the sport. Someone brought you into your career. Someone brought you into your family. And the opportunity that you can give them with the knowledge and service that you can offer them. My dad taught me to ride a bike. At 44, he had triple bypass surgery and he taught me to ride a bike again is what we say in my family. He taught me once when I was a kid. And then in my early 20s, I got on a bike again because of my dad. And I remember he used to <laughs> yell and say, get behind me and draft. You're never going to go fast if you don't get behind me and draft. You know, go look for a guy who has calves bigger than mine and then get behind him and draft. You know, um, <laughs> he he took the time to teach me. And I'm, I'm sure all of you um, that are listening to this have a mentor that took time with you. You owe somebody else that. Just as much as you owe getting your butt kicked and just as much as you owe going out and and having a good time, that Goldilocks rule and peddling it forward is huge for me.
0: I love that. So wise. Thank you, Christy. Brandon.
3: Yeah, for me, it's there. It's very difficult to come down to one that has impacted my life so much, but it, it was really, you know, being comfortable in the uncomfortable right taking those risks and taking those chances there were so many you know parts of my journey you know following following my injury that at at that point it seemed you know maybe difficult or or seemed impossible but it was taking that chance when you know again people may have may have put limits you know on me right i may have put limits on myself but it was, you know, kind of stepping out of that fear and just just taking a chance, right? I mean, what's what's the worst that's gonna happen kind of mentality? And you know, so much good has come from those opportunities where I've you know tried to take that risk, whether it was, you know, trying to get out and and join Team USA at that time when I when I was going through this, you know, had never raced in a sanctioned cycling race before I had never, you know, been a part of team USA. It was not even close to qualifying, but I just thought, you know, why not reach out to the team? They were looking for developmental athletes. What's the worst that can happen. Right. Fortunately enough, they saw potential in me and, you know, gave me an opportunity, which then spiraled down to becoming a national team member and, you know, winning a world championship medal. And, you know, the, the rest is history and, and other things as well within my professional career um, you know, coming back from my injury of, okay, I want to still continue on in my career at Ernst & Young, you know, how was I going to be able to do it? I wasn't going to be able to, you know, live that consultant lifestyle of being on the road Sunday through Thursday, coming out of an injury. And I thought I was going to have to, you know, put a halt to my career and, and lose my job. But, you know, having those difficult conversations with, you know, my boss and other leaders and, you know, finding a way, it's a, to make it work. So a lot of it was some of the best, you know, parts of, of my life have come through these difficult decisions, you know, that I made to, you know, just take a risk and see what happens. Very
1: cool.
0: Thank you uh, to everybody. Um, I think as we wrap, Sean, will you mind taking the next step here and inviting everybody to what you've got planned? You and
1: Christy and Brandon? You bet. Uh, Absolutely. So beginning with the 19th of August, 6 p.m., it's a Thursday evening. We're having what's called the Cupcake Challenge, Cupcake Climb, and uh, we are going to meet at Draper Park in Sandy, and all we ask you to do is come. Uh, It's going to be a great event. Uh, We're going to have cupcakes. We're going to introduce people. They'll be able to get to ride with Brandon and uh, see some of our great friends in the community. And um, we'll have a lot of different teams represented. We'll be doing a climb, basically leaving Draper Park, neutral climb to or roll out till we get to tra- Traverse. And then we'll climb that up to the top of Suncrest, down the backside, and then back up from the south side and finish at the top. That's where we will call your Strava segment done. And uh, that way everybody can kind of get the Strava segment in and then we'll compare them all and see how we all did as we roll back to Draper park for kind of a little festivities and uh, wrap up and uh, see everybody there. So that'll be on the 19th. We're excited to do it. And we'll, in honor of the Meduele championship uh, this last weekend, winning the team award. we're going to continue something on and uh, I've already talked to some of the other team heads and we're going to do a team challenge as well. So we'll see some of our friends from other teams there as well. So it should be a great event. I'm excited. Chris, do you want to add anything to that?
2: I just can't wait to see who wins best costume for bibs only.
0: (laughs) Nice bib. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to wear, you know what I've always wanted to do is wear a salmon outfit and ride the race course backwards. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yes. like I'll, go, I'll,
0: I'll pass you guys we'll like cross
1: i like fantastic
0: it. and brandon I'm is out. coming like you're bringing yes. him out we are gonna this is awesome okay very cool
1: no it's yes, gonna be great are, we're gonna are, have. go ahead christy
2: there's no special points if you do the whole ride with a front flat tire like brandon did the second <laughs> half of the marathon
3: that's not happening i got tubeless now so i'm ready to go <laughs> <laughs>
1: You've got a little <laughs> bit better bike now too, right?
3: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit,
1: a little bit. Very cool. All right, well, I'll post all the links. Um,
0: I'll post all links to Brandon's uh, Facebook page or Instagram page so you can connect with him, uh, connect with him on his 24-hour uh, record attempts. Uh, I know he's got donations there, uh, and to watch that journey as well as – more information that's coming out about our August 19th uh, gathering and the way we can support CAF. So, um, anything else before we wrap up? You guys are awesome. This has been so cool. Brandon, your story is awesome, man. You're an inspiration. I'm thankful you come and share it with us. Appreciate your time.
3: Yeah. I appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me. You
0: bet. All right. Well, back to our real jobs. This has been fun while it's lasted.
2: Back to our real jobs. In 17 days, we'll all be together climbing, and I can't wait.
0: Yep,
1: I can't back wait Back in either. the mountains. Yes. <laughs>
0: yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate Thanks
1: you. guys. Thank you. See, See you soon. You.